So we're in the book of Isaiah, chapter 51 this morning. I'm really encouraged and excited about the passage this morning. Um, I was telling the team, I was telling the team as, uh, as we were praying for the pre-service, like, if you were to just excavate this passage, this 50, chapter 51, um, and just read it, kind of not knowing who the author was, it would read a lot like a psalm. It's very poetic, very encouraging, uh, very reflective, and it's a lot more faithful than this earpiece is being right now. Give me a little bit of a hard time, but no worries. But before we get into Isaiah 51, I want to point out a couple of things. First, behind, or in front of you in the seats, there is a connection card, or excuse me, a, um, a touch card. It's an invite to our Christmas Eve service this Tuesday at 5 p.m. If you guys can go ahead and make sure that you take that card, um, our A card, and hand it out. Invite someone to our Christmas Eve service. It's going to be a great time. There's nothing like coming you know, to church at 5 o'clock Tuesday afternoon, right before we get into all of our... Christmas festivities, we need to hear from the Lord. It'd be a great time, so I encourage you. Uh, invite your friend, invite your neighbor, and bring your family, all right? Second is there is a little uh, ornament, paper ornament in the chair in front of you as well. What we want to do each week, we've been writing names, <clears throat> names of people we want to pray for. So if you can, take that ornament, and we're going to take a second, and if you can take it, and just the first name, I don't care if it's the same name you wrote last week, just take the name, write it down, and that way we can... We can Consistently pray for them. And then after the end of service, that would be better. At the end of service, when we're doing our communion and our response, we have these wreaths around the church. And so we just want you to put those up that we, as the pastors and the staff here, uh, can just pray for you guys and for the people that are on your heart over the next week or two. And so um, let us pray now. Let's take, go ahead and write your names if you can. Take those ornaments and let's, let's do it. Let's write our names and then I'm going to pray for the ones up there. And then we'll keep them in prayer as the weeks go. Father, thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Ah. Lord, I just want to hear from you this morning, Lord. I love sharing your word. I love sharing the parts where you're just encouraging me and I get to share with your saints how uh, you're just showing me how faithful you are, Lord. I pray, Lord, for the names on these wreaths. I know Christmas tends to, um, it represents joy, it represents all this wonderful happiness, Lord, but it, it, we tend to bury the sadness or uh, avoid it. And then there's a lot of pain, Lord. Probably just in this room, I know there's pain. And I, I pray, Lord, for the saints here, Lord, that this, that this season, if it's reminding um, them of pain, that they just press harder into you, your promises, remind themselves of your grace and your faithfulness. Father, we pray that as this Christmas season just approaches in just a few more days and ends, that we don't forget your birth, we don't forget your faithfulness, and that we remain alert, ready to give, and ready to serve. And, and once again, thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so chapter 51 of the book of Isaiah. Like I said, this chapter flows really quick. It goes really smooth. We're going to kind of just go through it verse by verse, enjoy it, imply it. Um, it kind of, so the first 16 verses, he, he continues to encourage, right? He, uh, he builds his people up. He's consistently encouraging, going back and forth. And then around verse 17, it shifts for a moment, right? For about three verses, it shifts, and it shows about some sin, and it talks about some issues that have rose, and then boom, it goes right back into encouragement. So it's a really good passage, has a really good flow. I was really stoked. I read it a thousand, well, read it a lot of times this, this past week, and I was really encouraged. And there's some upfront application I kind of want to offer to you guys. So first is this. You're going to uh, see individual application, right? 
That's obviously for you as an individual, as a servant of Christ, an individual in the Christ family, right? And then second, you're going to see a corporate encouragement. Like he, he refers to it as Zion or his people. He speaks to them in a corporate language, right? And that's still our responsibility. We can't detach ourselves from that responsibility because as Christians, we essentially have a dual responsibility in the faith, right? And the first is our salvation, right? Growing it, making sure we're maintaining our personal walk, nurturing it, growing in the faith. But everything we grow and we nurture on the personal level has a, a result, it has an impact. And an impact, just think of a bullseye, right? If you're playing darts, the, the center is you. You want to hit that bullseye every day. You want to focus on yourself through prayer, you know, fasting, whatever it is to build your spirit up. And then it just ripples out from there. The next line would represent for me would be my wife, right? And then my, my, my marriage and then my kids. And it just keeps rippling out my work and then, and then um, church, et cetera, et cetera. But it all starts with our walk. And as God blesses and grows us as individuals, that growth is always meant to be a blessing to a light to the world and a blessing to his church as he uses us to build his church. So the encouragement as you see the individual and the corporate, please put yourself in those shoes. See where God is speaking to you and don't pass over it. See where to apply to your life and watch God really uh, just continue to do a work in you. So <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 51. Now, uh, we're going to go verses 1 through 3. God addresses those who seek righteousness. Verses 1 through 3. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Right off the bat, he says, he announces who he's speaking to, the righteous. First thing I want to talk about the word righteous. We'll interpret it really quick for you. It's a simple interpretation. I can't pronounce the Hebrew word, but I can tell you what it means in Hebrew. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you what it means in English. It means righteous. <laughs> now, I say that not in any facetious manner, but it's a right standing before God. He's addressing the people who are pursuing a right standing before him, right? It's not just self-righteousness. It's actually a righteousness. You are pursuing the work of the Lord. You are pursuing obedience. You are pursuing his faithfulness. He's speaking to those people, right? Actually, in verse 7, a correlating verse in the same chapter, gives us a physical image of what that looks like. Look what it says in verse 7. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the peoples whose heart is my law. Right there, he gives a physical observation of what the righteous look like. Someone who has God's law in their heart. Man, it's somebody who's putting God first. How I like to, how I like to put it is, is uh, you put his lenses on, right, to see the world. A lot of times Christianity is treated more like a prosthetic limb, where we just take what we need from Christ and use it at the moment of need. Like a prosthetic, you know, arm, leg, you need it, so you put it on, you use it, and when it's inconvenient, you take it off. No, Jesus needs to be our lenses. He needs to be everything we look through. He needs to be, everything we look through needs to be cleansed by his word. And all of our ideology needs to be, needs to be purged by his word. And that's the man who seeks righteousness. That's the woman who seeks righteousness. And so that's the audience. Now look, he tells him to do two things. He, he tells him, look what it says. It says, look to the rock from which you were hewn and the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and look to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him. Look at that. He tells them to do two things. First, he tells them to look to the rock from which they were hewn and the quarry from which they were dug. He is telling his saints, man, look to me. Right? Look to me. Remember the context. They're in captivity. They're in a harsh time right now. Look to me. Look to the rock from which you were hewn. You've been crafted. Man, God has given this image that, that you are a stone, a rock, and you have been carved out of it. And he has done that for you. And another thing he says, he says, look to, your, look to your father, Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. 
And then he goes on with the promise. But we need to look. As saints, man, as Christians, we have the Bible, right? And, and we have one of those beautiful things that we can look to God. We can look to God. We can look to the patriarchs, right? The, 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 founda- the, the, the founders of our faith. Man, we can always look back to them. And despite the circumstance, we always have God to look to. And we have his saints that we can look back on and see how God fulfilled his promises in difficult times. We have that. God is always encouraging that. That's why it's really good to know Scripture, like in Psalms, it tells how, like in Psalms 119, it says, your word have hidden my heart that I may not sin against you. Man, that's really good to have scripture, the knowledge of the Bible. That way when you're in a context, you remember, man, how did God respond in this situation? You know, how, how did God reveal his faithfulness? And that's what he's encouraging them to do. Man, look to me, the one who hewn you, the one who formed you. Look to your forefathers. Look at how I was faithful to my promises. And I love it because it leads us right into verse 3. It gives, us an, uh, it gives us an observation into God and who he is in his heart. It says, it says this in verse 3. For the Lord comforts Zion. There it is, the corporate, right? He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Man, God is an encouraging God. We see that he has a pattern of keeping his promises and always caring for what is his. Remember, Zion represents him. It's attached to his promises. So he's like, hey, he's, he explains, like, look what he says. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts his people no matter the situation, right? And all her waste places, the, the wilderness, he's given the image of the wilderness, and he makes it like Eden, a beautiful garden, his desert, right? Like a garden of the Lord. And this is joy and gladness to be found in her. These are promises that God will do because he's a God of restoration. And these are promises that we can claim as Christians. These are things that we could look at because God, we, we, last week in the, uh, the reading, it, it, it quoted Isaiah, says a smoking uh, flax, you will not, uh, a bruised reed you will not break, and a smoking flax you will not quench because he's not a God of destruction. He's a God of restoration. And when God is usually destruct, like, Judging is because he wants to restore. He judged his people. He disciplined them, put them in captivity so he can restore his nation. He can restore his promises. Man, we, get, we could take great comfort in knowing that God, he's a God of refuge, a God of comfort, and a God who's consistently bringing restoration. Not only that, verses 4 and 5, look at he continues the encouragement. Verses 4 and 5, give attention to me, my people, and give ear, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteous draw near. My salvation has gone out, and my arm will judge the people. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they will wait. God reminds us of his strength. Look what he says. I will set my justice in verse 4, right? And then, and then in verse 5, I, or excuse me, my arm will judge. Despite your circumstance, despite the difficult situation you, saints, find yourself in, God is in control. God is always in control. Even if it feels like he's not, he is. And sometimes his control leaves us with more questions than answers. But he's in control. And, and, and that is something we have to faithfully remember and rely on, that God is in control and rest in his faithfulness because he tells us his justice, he will set it, and his arm will judge the people. The people and us will be judged by God's law and God's rule. But look at the sharp contrast. Now he goes in verse 6, he contrasts his strength Versus our futility, right? Our weakness, our limitless. Look what it says in verse 6. Lift your eyes to heaven and look to the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And they will dwell and die in like manner. That's pretty harsh. But my salvation will be forever and my my righteousness will not be dismayed. Man, God tells us two things right there. The earth will wear out like a garment and his salvation will last forever. I always 
I always looked at like my faith, <clears throat> and I've always said, man, you gotta have a proper understanding of your faith, right? Having a proper understanding of who you are in your faith, right? It's super healthy, uh, and when you understand it, you are like a garment. You are wearing out and fading away quicker than you can imagine. Yesterday I was 18. <laughs> Today I'm 40. You know, it's like, wow, I, I am wearing out pretty quick here. Um, and then when you have kids, it's like double the wearing, you know? It's like the hole gets quicker in the knees. I need knee pads quicker. But we're wearing out. But God and his promises and his salvation will last forever. And that's what we have to remember. That's the God we're serving. We're serving an eternal God. Not a stationary, momentary God. We're, we're serving an eternal God. One whose promises are yes and amen and will, will go on for eternity. And those are the promises he's telling us to look to to remember because his salvation will last forever. Now, verse 7 through 8, uh, the encouragement not to fear man. And that's always the sin, right? That's always the weakness. Man, they come in, they start throwing down your head, fear, oh, I don't want to offend them. And you kind of go on these, you know, you get, you get tied up in your faith, like, well, I'm going to just kind of be quiet and... You know, it's man. Man is always bringing us down, right? And look what he says. Look what he starts to speak about them. Verses 7 through 8, he encourages us not to fear man and why. Look at verse 7. Listen to me. Here we go. We read this verse earlier. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. That's all of us. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed by their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness, there it is again will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. <clears throat> we see three things in there, right? Not to fear man, and why? For the man is, uh, fear not the reproach of man. And look why. For the moth, I know it looks weird up there, for the moth will eat them up like a garment. Think about that. All the attacks you get from the world. When you think of the world and what it seems so strong, and it's anti-Christ approach, and and. It seems like it's overwhelming and they're just the world's having victory over us. And it seems like we're just a shrinking body of people. No. All that strength you see, all that that seems to concern us and worry us, it says it's going to be eaten like a moth. Like a moth eat, eats garments. It's just going to... Nothing. It's nothing to the Lord. And the salvation will continue. God's work is going to continue. We do not need to fear the reproach of man. I get it. I fear the reproach of man at times. You know someone fears the Lord or fears the reproach of man, especially when you use that language, well, I don't fear no one. <laughs> You're trying to convince yourself you don't. But it's natural within all of us. We want people to be pleased. We don't want, some people love violence and fighting all the time. I like it only when it's scheduled. Monday nights, Friday nights, and Saturday mornings at the gym. I'm good with those three days. Other than that, I'm very peaceful. Um, and, and honestly, I only train to remain in peace. But anyhow, um, we don't need to fear man. man. Man is, he seems strong, and his ways seem intimidating, but in the end, they're not. You know, my wife and I, we're reading a lot of George Mueller. George Mueller is a, a missionary from a long ago, uh, uh, the late 1800s, early 1900s. He's an amazing man. Oh, my God, he's an amazing man. But he had this, uh, one thing that sparked his faith was the compromise that he would see in Christians to be salesmen and, and, or to work in the workforce. And so he's like, I don't want to work at a church. I want to work in the world. Like, I want to work in society and show that you can honor God as a salesman. You can honor God in all these And that was his mission. Now, his mission's amazing. He ends up turning into this amazing orphanage. Like, uh, he ends up opening the, the, uh, this orphanage. He does this amazing work with a lot of orphans. It's great. But the initiation, the thing that launched him into his, like, like standing firm for Christ was like, hey, 
I want to stand strong for God in all situations. And I'm going to show my brothers and sisters, you don't need to compromise. He's actually inspired me. I have no desire to be on staff on a church. I, I do all this for free. I volunteer my time because I want to work outside the church. I love being in the presence of non-believers and speaking the gospel and selling pool remodels to them as well. But I like speaking. <laughs> I like, but honestly, you do not know. This is the thing about, this is the thing, like for so long I wanted to be on staff and, and full-time and all that, and it's a prestige thing, right? But when you kind of take my gifts, my strengths, and who I really am, nah, man, I'm better off being planted around a bunch, of, especially if you think about it like this. So you call me up. Right, because technically I'm not on staff, but I am. Let me give you an example. Let me, let me explain. <laughs> All right, Scott, we got your Tuesday schedule. I show up. Hey, Mr. John Doe, right? Knock on the door. Well, he's paying me to be there, and I am going to eventually share the gospel with him and hopefully sell him a backyard remodel. So that's my way of being on staff. I look at it that way, that this is God giving me divine opportunities, and it's a blessing. Man, it is a blessing being out there working in the workforce, but man, putting God first. And I've been very inspired by George Mueller. And I, and I like that. But we don't have to fear man. I don't have to compromise. I don't have to lie. Sure, my prices are higher. Whatever. I don't have to lie. I don't try to have to, I don't try to say, you know, lie on anything. No. God's my provider. I'm honest. I'm fair. Then I'll hold my integrity. He will be my provider. And, and <clears throat> the fear of man subtly can make us compromise our faith in ways like that. Well, I'm just going to lie a little. You know, I'll put 50 extra square feet. You know, it's an extra, you know, X amount of dollars or whatever. No. Be honest. Show God's glory in all situations, man, and allow him to lift you up. It's amazing. We do not have to fear man. Now, look, really quick. We just looked at these eight verses, right? And we can kind of step back, and we can look at, we can just observe them. We kind of just threw them up. We can observe them. I sure did it. There we go. So it gives us, there's essentially six steps you see in there, right? And I'm not giving you six steps to success in your faith. Not at all. These are six things I observed that are healthy practices. Technically, four of them are healthy practices. Two of them are healthy reminders. Look what it says. We looked in verse one. Look to the rock. Something we need to consistently be doing is looking to God. Look at second. Look to our forefathers. Man, no biblical stories. Understand the Bible. What's going on and why? We need to remember that God is faithful to his promises for the Lord comforts. That is his promise to us. One of my favorite verses, and if you know me long enough, I pray this almost every time. 2 Timothy 2.13, because I know I'm faithless. I know I lack but look what it says. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. That is an amazing promise we have. So that means when you read scriptures and it's attached to God, a promise, he can't deny himself. God will honor his promises. Remember, his word is not frivolous. When God spoke, creation happened. When God's word is launched, life comes out of it. And when he's saying right there, he can't deny himself. When there's a promise attached to him, it's a yes and an amen. We have to just be faithful. He may not have, it may not be in his will to accomplish that specific thing in our life or in our lifetime, but salvation to all generations and it's everlasting, he will be faithful to himself. And we also see that we need to remember he, his strength, right? His arm will judge. And we need to remember our futility. We will die in like manner. And we need to remember how God looks at man. They will be eaten by the moth. There's no strength in man. That one's not a great note. And so, just, just six simple things that I observed, man, that can really be practicing your, 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 your walk and then, you know, build and grow your faith. That's what we want to do, right? So look at verses 9 through 11. All this that we look at, now Isaiah turns to prayer. And I love his prayer because it shows us a couple of things. First, it shows how tragic of a situation they're in, and then it just shows us, let's read it, verses 9 through 11. Awake, awake. 
Put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generation of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab into pieces that pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? Look at what he says, man. He, he says two things right off the bat, right? He talks about, or, or let me explain this. He gives two examples, and he points to two things about God. God's strength in war and God's authority over creation. Why is that important? Well, if you come to me and say, hey, Scott, like if one of the youth kids come to me, pray for me on a test, right? All my prayers are like, Lord, we know you're faithful and you reward good behavior, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? We pray for their test. Someone comes to me and says, hey, I have cancer. I start to invoke creation. You know, Lord, you are the creator of heaven and earth. You know, you, 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 know, you rose the dead. And we, we draw out, we, we then attach God's like, most glorious moments to our prayer. We're trying to invoke all the strength that we know in Scripture. And when he's invoking a great war against the Canaanites, where, where the Israelites were, were grossly uh, at a disadvantage, and they won, that was because God's strength. And then he looks to God's strength over creation. Man, Moses, he parted the seas. And he's looking to that God. He's like, hey, this is the situation we're in. And these are the two things I'm appealing to you for because it's bleak. It's hard to follow you right now. It's difficult. It's overwhelming. It's a burden. And he's, and he's pleading to those things. But, but when you're honest, man, you sit before God. And, and this prayer is yet three verses, but I don't think it was one minute. I'm pretty sure Isaiah stayed in this moment. Just when you read, you know, the previous 50 chapters, you kind of get an idea of who this man is. And I'm pretty sure he sat in this moment. But then look at verse 11. Now, we can understand the situation, but verse 11 is true for all of us. Look what it says. And the ransom of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow. And singing shall, or sighing shall flee away. Let us a promise again. A promise again of restoration. God will always restore his people. Right? In the restoration, the ransom shall return. Right? His, he, they will return with worship and everlasting joy. And they will obtain gladness. Not only are they going to come back, they're going to come back with power. They're going to come back worshiping the Lord. And God is a God of restoration. If you're here, if you're broken and you feel like you're struggling, man, God is a God of restoration. He will restore you. But it takes some basic steps of faith. And it starts with obeying what you know. Being obedient in the simple things. That's, that's when you start to see the change. And that's when you start to see God's promises flow through you. And that's when you start to walk in them and feel that building up. And you too, you shall return. You will be singing. Joy will fill your heart and gladness. Gladness is something that you can obtain. But again, just like I put up those six little practices, those are healthy steps to listen and, and, and practice and grow in your faith, right? And it says, it says in verses 12 through 13, he again goes back to man, do not fear the oppressor. God is very concerned about man oppressing us. This is the third time it's popped up. It means we need to take heed, right? Verses 12 through 13, look what he says. I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth, and you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? Man, he not only calls him out, he mocks him, right? He points it out in those two. He, don't fear the oppressor, right? The, the oppressor, he's got nothing, the oppressor, not oppressor, the oppressor, he's got nothing on God. And God is telling us not to fear him, but he's coming. He wants to stifle you. He wants to slow you down. 
And a lot of times it's you. A lot of times it's you oppressing your own self by believing in lies and not believing what God has said about you. You look to your faith and about your last victory, and that's how God looks at me. No, no, man, God, God has a lot of great promises about you concerning you written down in Scripture. However, you need to know them, and you need to understand your position and allow God to then bless you with them. It, it's a process. It's an easy process. I always say this about our faith, that, yeah, it's a difficult thing to, to, to walk through, right? It's a difficult, it's a lifelong journey. But, man, God has made faith pretty simple in the sense of you obey the basics of what you know, right? You obey the simple steps of faith, and God increases it. And I always tell kids, and you guys heard me say this before, it's redundant at this point, but I always tell kids, start with obeying your mother and your father. It's the first commandment with promise. That's where, start right there. That is honoring. (laughs) Y'all like that one, huh? Uh, I shop at Target. I shop at, no, (laughs) just kidding. Um, But no, in all honesty, and then, but as adults, that, that's the same applies to us. The same applies to us, man. We need to start simple. What do you know in Scripture? What does God implant in your heart? Start obeying it. Start walking with that promise. And then, and then God will start to reveal more. It's my belief that if God says, Scotty, here's all your sins, and just like, just like expose them to I'm just, we're good. Just call it over. Game over. Claudia, sorry. It's just no mas. You know, uh, that's why he reveals them, though. You grow in your faith, and he reveals it. He reveals more, and you keep growing in your faith, and he continues to reveal, and he continues to reveal. And so, um, now notice the contrast between the one who fears the man, right, who's stifled. Now notice the contrast of the believer who bows the knee. Look at verses 14 through 16. He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit, neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea that it is waves, that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand. Look at that strength and promise. Everlasting, um, establish, excuse me, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, saying to you people here this morning, you are my people. The contrast is simple, man. Look at verse 14. He says, he who has bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit, nor shall he be Neither shall his bread be lacking. Man, when you are of God, when you are walking in the promises of God, you're not held captive. Sure, it can seem like society has you down, but you're not held captive. I think of the Apostle Paul when he's in jail, right? He's just, people are preaching the gospel, and he's still preaching the gospel. You're not captive. You just have a new ministry. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and look what it says right there. He says in verse 16, I will put my words in your mouth, and I've covered you in the shadow of my hand. Man, that is a beautiful promise, saints. And we know that God's protection, and we know that in his protection, if something really tragic happens to us, God allowed it, maybe even caused it. We have to accept that. And that's the time we step back, we put a pause. You know, I've had a lot of plans lately, and I had an extreme tragedy lately. It's like, whoa, Lord, you're jumping on my plans. Like, that was, you know, you, you know now, you know, my plans are shifted dramatically. And it's not me to say, hey, God, you're wrong. No, he's right. I don't want to accept it. For many of you don't know, one of my closest friends died a week ago, and I just don't understand, like, why, you know, just, why him? And there was so much we could, and it just doesn't make sense, but I have to accept, it's okay, Lord, now you got something new for his beautiful family, and you got something new for me and my family in that relationship, and my sister and my brother-in-law with that relationship, but it doesn't mean God's wrong, it just means that wasn't my plans, were not his plans, and so now I have to take a step back and find purpose in that, like, how does this work out now? But it's okay. God is faithful. God has a plan. 
He's using me to build his church. I'm not using him to build my kingdom. So I will submit, as difficult as it is. I didn't want to preach today. <laughs> it was just last Friday. And, you know, you, you're trying to wrestle with it. But then, but then again, my buddy Raul loved the way I preached. And he's like, I could just hear him, nah, dog, you need to preach. You need to preach. I could just hear my buddy. Just, so I'm here, man. And praise the God. You, you know, praise, praise the God. Praise God. I was able to, uh, we had a vigil for him in downtown L.A. And I got to share the gospel uninterrupted with roughly 100 graffiti writers. And it was an amazing time. Right there, right in down, the streets of downtown. And so right off the bat, his death was used for, for God's glory. And, and it's been a blessing, man. I, and you know what? There was a fear. There's a fear because you're talking all my peers. And those of you who don't know me, I have a lot of respect in the graffiti world. I'm not proud of it, but just giving you guys some, some content. I have a lot of respect. I've done a lot of work in that world. And so I, I'm there now in the presence of all these graffiti writers, a lot of them. And we're talking the elite. I'm fearful. I'm like, I don't want to share the gospel these guys. They're going to kill me online. But then I just said, nope, that's a lie from Satan. I'm going to go up there and preach. I'm telling you, man, I went and I preached and I told them, you can watch on, go to my Facebook, it's on there. And I shared the gospel with them very clear. I challenged them. I called them to repent. And I could tell you this much, this much, my phone has been blowing up all week. I cannot, and I told Pastor Jeff, I go, man, I think it seems like we're, we're preaching to a broken, a hurt world more than a lost world. How many of these kids, these young men, are just broken? They're just broken. And they find their identity in this, this subculture, in this graffiti world. And they just got exposed. And now, like getting text messages, how do I, you know, and it's been a blessing. But the fear of man, if I would have let the fear of man stumble me from moving forward, I wouldn't have had this blessing. And they wouldn't have had the word of God shared to them at that moment. And so it was a blessing, man. And so we look at these passages, right? And we look at all of it, and, and we ask ourselves, how did they get to this situation, right? Like, when you look, and God is consistently reminding you. Because this is something that always troubles me in the faith, right? We know what God says, but how do we find ourselves in these dire situations, right? Because on the outside, most of us look pretty godly. Like, when you meet us at church, when you meet them in the streets, eh, they're well-behaved, they're, they're nice, they're respectful. Well, how do we get into these dire situations? Well, I believe verse 17 shows us the issue, and I, and I wrote... I, the issue is uh, they're not woke. Look what it says. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drank from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drank the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. Wake up. They are not awake. They are asleep. But are they? Like, what does he mean by that? Because like, I kind of wrestle with it. What do you mean they're asleep? So I kind of was praying over this. And what does it mean to be asleep? And so what I've done is based on everything that I've seen in the previous 50 chapters that led me up to this point, there's been a consistent theme of things that have been lacking, a consistent theme of disobedience. And it always came down to simple individual applications. Simple individual applications. I wrote down four of them, okay? We can find a lot more, but I wrote down four. Prayer, fasting, tithing, and confession. Those are four things that are very personal. They're not very public. We do public, but they're not extremely public. And I look, like, what does it mean to be asleep? And what I think, <clears throat> how I interpret this, and I believe Scripture really supports it, is we start to lack on the simple nurturing of our faith. We start to lack on the basic, you know, practice of our faith. But God still blesses us. Let's take tithing. Tithing, that's a good one. That's one we all love talking about. Let's talk about tithing. Well, I'm not really tithing. But man, I'm making money. I feel blessed financially. And now, all of a sudden, 
You, you don't know how to honor God with your money. Tithing is, is, why tithe? Why would I want to give him more money? You know, like, why? But it's an obedience thing. It's just a commandment in Scripture. And there's a different reward when you tithe and obey in that context. And it's tithe. And I'm glad it's 10%. I'm happy with 5%, but I'm cool with 10 And the reason why, it's an easy number. I mean, imagine tithing like 7%, like, okay, i got to figure this number out all the time. Ten's easy. Ah, oh, I hit 100 bucks, here's 10 But that's a simple step of obedience. But see, that's something we can do frivolously. That's something that we can do with just a cold heart. Eh. That was always the context. The priest, they started, they started corrupting the sacrificial system, making it about money. People couldn't worship right. They couldn't afford to worship, which is so bizarre. You know, these are some of the things that happened at the, in the temple worship. And we see that it would cause people to not want to pray, to not join prayer, to not fast, to not tithe, and to lack confession. And, and I look at those four things, man. And those, and I, remember I talked in the beginning about the righteous, right? The people who put God's law on their heart. Man, those are four things that we are consistently encouraged to do as individuals, consistently in Scripture. But yet we count being blessed. God is accepting our disobedience. I mean, really, I looked and I go, man, Lord, when's the last time I fasted? You know, really, like, fast it. It's like, man, that means I feel like I can handle every situation. I don't need to sacrifice and engage and wrestle with the Lord. And I kind of just thought about that, like, huh. You know, and, and so I myself, and I think about it, right? When we slack on these, but prayer becomes about convenience. Fasting, we say, oh, it's, we have excuses for all this. It's not enough time to pray. Again, these are things that I've said. I'm sharing to you guys my struggles. I'm confessing to y'all. And I hope, I hope you can correlate and then we're on the same page. But prayer, ah, it's about convenience. Fasting, that's ah, not practical. I work too dang hard. You know, I'm out in the sun all day where I can't fast. I'll fast breakfast, Lord, and just have an early lunch, you know. Or I'll give what I can or I give how I feel to what I feel. No, Scripture's pretty clear, man. You tithe to the church. It's a discipline. Uh, and then confession. Man, we, we, and I get confession. There's a lot of gossip in the church. That's something that we can correct. Um, but it's sometimes difficult. You confess, and then you kind of get into beef with your neighbor, and your neighbor then shares your stuff. I get that, but we have to be a church that looks and values those, those practices and, and reinsert them into our faith because they're healthy habits to mature our faith. And when we slack on these little things, then the big things become evident. Then when we slack on these other things, we can then pass over and say, ah, I don't need to really care about orphans. Or, ah, it's, yeah, whatever, somebody else will take care of them. And we start to have this passive, and we learn to give excuses to exclude ourselves from God's law. You know, I spent, uh, two years ago, I spent uh, 18 months, roughly, just away from the Lord. I don't know what happened to me, to be honest with y'all. The, the only thing I can relate to it is David, when he said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. I just woke up one day and just felt lost. And I sat through that process. Got involved in some things I shouldn't have. But when, when I was, God, why am I like this? I went from like wanting to plant a church to just this broken spot. And honestly, through those 18 months, well, the last six months, when God started to restore me, I had for the past handful of years neglected. My prayer life was shot. I hadn't fast. I wasn't tithing. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't doing, I was serving. I was preaching. I had a youth group. I was doing all the cool stuff. But the basic essentials, I completely neglected. God, when he says it's time to walk back into faith, you know what I did? I didn't want to come back, but I knew I had to. So I started tithing. Well, I'm just going to tithe. I'll be obedient to a tithe. Tithe. Then I just started being, then I got Vinny, Pastor Vinny and Pastor Jeff in a room, and I just confessed, hey, man, 
And then we prayed, and I consist- consistently started to pray again. And here I am, man. God restored me, and God gave me back a role. It's a talent God has given me, you know what I mean? And he's called me to preach, and so I enjoy doing it. And he restored me back to this role, a role that I honestly thought, you'd ask me six months ago, I'll never be on that stage. And, and, he, and no, he had a calling on my life. But in order for me to walk in it again, I had to start practicing simple steps of obedience. And what the best thing about God is this, right? Because there is, a, there is a reward. Verses 18 to 21 tells us the reward for neglecting these things. Look what it says in verses 18 to 21. There is none to guide her among all the sons that she has born. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons that she has brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will counsel you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword will comfort you. Your sons have fainted. They lie, in the, they lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They, they are full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of the Lord. Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk but not with wine. Man, there's three things I see out of that, that observation, right? It says, uh, there's no one to guide. You lose your vision. There's no guidance, right, in verse 18. In verse 19, it says, there's none to counsel our comfort. Man, we lose that beautiful reward of God being our comfort, right? And then it says, there's no rest. Your sons have fainted. They're at the streets. There's just no rest. I could tell you those three things were alive in me when I, was, when I was just in that season. Man, I was just lost. I had no vision, and I just felt like a weight. But that's because I neglected my soul. My soul needed a rest. And when God gave me the rest, he then restored me. And I love that because if you look at verses 22 through 23, right, we close with this. Thus says the Lord your God, who pleads the case, the cause for his people, or the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken you from the hand of the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. And I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, bow down that we may pass over. And you have made, and you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. What I love about that is not the last portion, it's the earlier portion where it says that he will plead for us. He will plead our cause and that he will restore us. God loves us way too much to keep us in this context. That he will always restore us and he's always trying to build and, and redeem us or build and restore us. And we can have that promise knowing that when we start to obey and be the person who bows a knee, God will then consistently start to build us back up and we can walk firmly in his faith. Saints, I hope you were encouraged this morning, right? I know some things stood out and I know that we're all here and we're all trying to glorify God, right? And some of us do it better at times than others. But we're gonna have the elders come up right now. We're gonna, we're gonna introduce communion. If you wrote those names on your cards, man, this is the time. Please come on up. We can get the elders up here. Well, um, and the people who are serving communion, uh, the elders. And then, um, you know, this is the time, man. You're going to come. You're going to confess to the Lord, and you're going to take the communion. And then pray. Pray about whatever, if God encouraged you today. If you checked out, like, oh, nope, not for me today. Pray about that. Man, if God convicted you, and pray about that. It's all good, man. Just, just pray and seek the Lord. Allow him to restore you and start to build you up. You know, one of the things that we tend, uh, you know, I was talking about earlier that we take lightly can be communion. Man, communion, communion is something powerful. You know, it's a place where we come and meet God. You know, it's a come where we get to experience what, what God has for us. And it's a wonderful time that you can attach your struggles, you can attach whatever you're going through to a moment, and you can take the communion, and you remember what Jesus has done for you. You remember his death and his resurrection, and then you can pray the promises that God has for you as you take the communion. Amen? Let us pray.
Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, Lord. As we just read through Isaiah, read through Isaiah 51, Lord, we see that you are faithful. And Lord, but you do, you will judge your people. You hold us accountable because you have a calling and you're building a church. God, I pray for all of us here today, Lord, that we would take uh, the simple things of your faith serious, that we would look to the, the, the basics of Christianity, Lord. Like when you saved us, be baptized, repent and be baptized. Basic steps of obedience, Lord. And then you start to gift us and grow us, Lord. I pray that those here today who are, who are just growing, Lord, that you take them another step forward. Those who need encouragement, Lord, remind them of scriptures, of how you think and look at them, Lord, and let them be encouraged. Lord, those who need humility, bring scripture that we would be humble. Father, I always, again, as it says in 2 Timothy, want to thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, because I know I am not faithful, Lord, at all times, but you are faithful. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.